Hey everyone, it's Justin, your host of Free Coffee, A Journey Through the Internet. And before we kick off with the episode, I wanted to play a little bit of the intro of the podcast festival uh, that I went to two weeks ago. This intro is Tom Morley, who is the former drummer of Scritti Politi, and I think he's going to bang into us some truth, and it's going to resonate with today's subject, so I'm just going to play that now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the drum room. Normally, I would invite you all over to play these drums with me. It's not a green screen, they're real drums. Um, but we can't do that because of lockdown. So um, I'm going to talk to you a bit about tension and release because a lot of stories about tension and release, a lot of podcasts are about tension and release. You create the tension that you don't really know this. I'm going to tell it to you. There's the release. I'm going to ask someone. We're all worrying about that question. Here's the answer. It's the release. Now, if I was to play it on the drum like this, it would go... Now, we don't need drums in order to get into that groove. You just need two wooden spoons. So I'm going to show you like this. See how you get on with this. So if you have some pills uh, or some rice in a jar, anything around that you've got in the house that you could shake, that's where we're after. And we don't want you to do this because you can't really get a rhythm like that. But if you throw it at the screen like that, and then if you get two, this is really the advanced platinum course. But if you so right two, now, Walk Like an Egyptian is playing. Tom Morley is dancing with some shakers. The chat's going off a little bit. Some people were confused thinking they're going they're, They came into a... Some people were confused. They thought they were walking into a, a virtual panel discussion about podcasting. And there's Tom Morley who has dreadlocks, a top hat that has glitter on it, some feathers. And a second ago, he was banging together some toilet brushes, but now he's shaking two bottles. I don't know what it is to walk like an Egyptian. Hi everyone, welcome to Free Coffee, a journey through the internet, episode two, brought to you by the LearnPod Network. What you just heard was my live reaction to the beginning of the virtual podcast festival, which was mentioned in episode one with Ralph Cochran. And today we're actually going to meet one of the co-founders of the podcast festival, Sam Sethi, who happens to also be an award-winning radio presenter and host of the podcast Sam Talks Technology. So I convinced him to give us some perspective on today's story, which is internet search, something that we do every day. As of 2019, the Index Web was an estimated host of 5.85 billion pages. And that's just the activity reached via search engines. If you were to download the entire web, it would take approximately 11 trillion years. Okay, let's go back to Sam and start asking some questions about the beginning of the internet and his relationship to search. That intro was incredible. Oh, thank you. What, was it Tom Mor uh, Morley? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Was, uh, he was the, I was uh, not expecting that. <laughs> well, nor was I actually, if I'm very honest. Um, a friend who, well, one of the partners on the uh, festival, Andrew Grill, 
uh, said, oh, I've got a mate called Tom Morley, ex-band member of Stritty Politi. I went, okay, how does that fit in with it? He said he'll just play some percussion stuff at the beginning. And I was like, when he got two wooden spoons out, I was like, okay, this is either going to go really well or really badly. Because I'd never seen him before myself either. Being a podcast festival host is something new to you. But how did you get into broadcast and to podcasting? Uh, okay. So mine was mine was a very serendipitous route. I, a friend of mine just said, do you fancy coming and doing an 80s radio show? And I'm one of these people, a bit like Jim Carrey in The Yes Man. I go, yep, yeah, okay, let's try it. I've never tried that before. Let's give it a go. And that was about three years ago, maybe. And I just thought, uh, after I'd played Shalimar on the 80s show for the 50th time, I thought, this isn't really for me. Um, so I'd always wanted to do a business and technology show because that's where my passion is. And they said yes. So I started doing that. And then I managed to get it syndicated around to, well, it's now over 35 radio stations in the UK. Wow. And um, yeah, and last year I won Best New Presenter I saw on that. radio. Congratulations. Thank you very much. I was very chuffed. Um, um, and so podcasting is where I'm spending my passion and time. Unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I put on a podcast festival last week or two weeks ago now. Um, and that was, you know, a six-week start to finish, get it live. Um, I'm really looking forward to the next one. We, we're about to announce it. It's called Voices of the World. And um, we've got um, Baratunde Thurston. I don't know if you know him. He's a, an amazing speaker uh, from the US. But we've got George the Poet, who's... Um, Incredible. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> um, and we've got similar speakers from South Korea, China, South Africa, and France. Before we get to the search questions for Sam, let's go into some of the fundamentals. An internet search engine is a software that's designed to carry out internet search, which means you search the entire World Wide Web for a specific information that you put into some textual web query or by voice as actually is what we'll learn in a moment. Uh, so usually the search results are generally presented in a kind of line or a linear up to down uh, matter. But we're gonna actually explore some other ways of, of how search results can be presented. So I know you, the audience, knows most of this information, obviously. Um, but during the lockdown, I, I got to thinking uh, what if we were searching the internet incorrectly? What if there's a better way to do internet search? And what is it that we're overlooking in search? Um, and more importantly, where, what's the future for search? Yeah, I started, I started in the internet when uh, there was a wonderful search engine called AltaVista. I don't know how old you are and if you remember that. So I, I remember the, the birth of Google and it, it seemed like, you know, why would you use something else? And then it suddenly became the de facto. Um, and subsequently, even with the likes of Bing and DuckDuckGo, there doesn't seem to be any real com um, competition to their dominance globally. Um, that said, I think Google now has got a real challenge on its hands. Before we get to Sam's problem with Google, let's go back into the history of search. Archie was the first search engine and was a tool for indexing FTP archives, allowing people to find specific files. Um, and then there was Jughead and Veronica. Those are real names. Fast forward a bit and you're in the midst of an avalanche of different search engines 
like uh, Excite, Infospace, Infoseek, Aliweb, AltaVista, Lycos, Webcrawler. Um, in 1994, it was possible to still purchase a book that had all the websites on the internet in it. A few years later, Google comes into the scene with a different way to rank search results on the page. Today, 90% of search is done on Google. Voice assistants, uh, certainly I'm a, a very heavy user. I'll turn mine off just in case she comes on. Um, Alexa um, is going to change the landscape and the way that we find information. I've got six in the house and you know i think when i search for something with alexa or ask her a question it's not really search um i get a definitive answer often you know give me the telephone number for the local chinese restaurant i don't want 10 results i don't want five ads around it and i don't know how google's going to monetize voice in the same way to deliver the same revenue that they get from a single page return for their results at the moment Okay, so we're unsure about how to monetize voice moving forward, but what do you feel is the future for search overall? I think the future of search is less advertorial, um, and I think the future of content is less advertorial. Um, I think people um, will pay to have less adverts. We do that already. Uh, in funny enough, uh, we are paying for privacy as well. So if you can afford an expensive iPhone, you're getting more privacy than if you can only afford an Android phone. So I think the future for search, for advertising, for the internet is actually slightly different to what we were talking about. I think uh, people will pay for a flight to quality of content and, and no advertising. I would pay $10 now to have Facebook without me being the product and them selling my data. There will be uh, vertical search sites that I will go to. So um, let's let's say I'm looking for a film. You know, it's IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. You know, it's, it's not going to be Google. Um, so there are other indexable databases for searching content that is not generic. Which brings us to Fagan Finder created by Michael Fagan, which is I found on Reddit. It's a search aggregator, very useful search tool that Michael will explain. Uh, well, I, uh, I'm in Toronto. That's where I live uh, in Canada. Um, who am I? Michael Fagan. Uh, I do this website that we'll be talking about as sort of a hobby that I started back in high school in 2001. So that's quite a long time ago. Right. And can you explain what the site is for those who can't see it in front of them? Yeah. So there's there's a number uh, of different kind of topical pages. Uh, the homepage is a, a general purpose one. And for each topic, it's, um, it's kind of one search box that lets you type in something you're looking for and then search on a whole bunch of different search engines, databases, or other tools that uh, you know might be useful. Um, so the, the one uh, that we might be talking about uh, if not all of them, the, the main one is, is general purpose resources. So it includes things like uh, search engines, encyclopedias, libraries, and archives, uh, high-level resources. Um, the uh, kind of idea is just help people find anything anywhere. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot of underlying assumptions that if you searched once on Google, you found everything that could possibly be found, and uh, that's not true, and I hope with this tool to both 
um, to, to help people explore, you know, everything that's out there. You, how did the, the idea for it, I guess, like come about? Um, well, initially it wasn't really for other people. It was just something I made for myself. So I just had a little web space and I kind of put links to the things that I frequently accessed, uh, on that page. And, uh, a lot of those things were some, some search engines to be able to find things on the rest of the internet. Um, and then I think at some point I thought, oh, this, you know, collection of search tools is, is kind of nice. Maybe other people than myself would want to use it. So I'd sort of reframe the site to be for anyone rather than just me. So let, let's unpack that a little bit. So you're saying that um, just using Google normally isn't the best way to search? Well, it's, it's not that it's not the best way. It's just that you won't definitely find everything that way. Um there's a lot of things that aren't in Google for one reason or another. And even if it is in Google, that doesn't mean that you're searching in a way that will let you find it. Um, you know, Google is, I mean, is an amazing, incredible resource. And I definitely encourage people to use it when they're looking for things. But I um, just want to expand people's horizons and realize that there's more out there. While Fagan Finder was a meta search tool or a search aggregator, what we're about to be introduced to um, by Chandler is a different way to engage with search and search results, which I think is very innovative. And um, I really feel like we're on the edge of something more along the lines of what I imagine the future of search to be. Sure. So I spent about 20 years in, uh, started off in 1983, started off, I'll go through the story quickly. Uh, 1983 as a stock trader, traded up until about 2000. Uh, during all that time, I was very involved in the trading technology, more of how the technology was helping the traders to do their job better. Uh, traders are very good at what they do, but the problem is they spend most of the time administering the systems. I got into more of the technology by 2000. Um, um, I was kind of done. Um, I, I was with a firm called uh, Montgomery Securities, which got bought out by Bank America. Um, and then in 2000, I decided to start to get off more into the technology itself. And down the rabbit hole, Chandler goes. So what I found was even though I was working from the trading side of it, you know, how do you want to trade this? You know, you, you want a better algorithm. You know, what, what's your access? You know, what markets you go into? You know, stuff like that. What I started to find was what they were really looking for was the information around what they were about to trade, right? They're about to click a button on, you know, a $40 million trade, a $100 million trade. Yeah, you know, they want to make sure that they've covered all their bases. So between a couple of the products I work with, and especially most recently Bloomberg, what, what I found was that by pushing <clears throat> relevant information to the trader prior to the trade, some type of thoughtful insight that the machine came up with that it really does help to either affirm the trade they're about to make or make them question what they're about to do. So this is Chandler. Chandler's passionate about uh, the concept of research versus search. The tool that he built allows for people to do more in-depth research and have a, a more re a relationship with the search platform that they're using. So what I found was that search wasn't a consistent thing. If you're sitting there on your phone you may go to Google right away. If you're on your, your iPad or your desktop, um, you may use a more formal source that you have, maybe something from, from your office. But what I always found was that there was a difficult starting point. Where do you go? Do you go to Google first? Well, 99% of the 95% of all the search, you go to Google first. You kind of get some answer there. And then if you're really researching it, you'll start to jot down what you're looking for. 
But what I found was that without having something consistent, there wasn't any way that this research analyst can actually do his job well. Because then what are you looking for? You're looking for a document in Google Drive. You're looking for something on your reading list. You're looking for, you know, in four or five different places for the information that you really just kind of need in one place. And then when it comes down to it, how do you follow up on that? Right? How do you say, well, I had this idea three months ago. Where is it? Is it in my notes? Is it in my reminders? What happens next is Chandler takes the research he was doing at his job and then in out of necessity uses it for himself in the job market, which later turns into him building this tool. So what I did was um, I started to look for a new position. And in looking for that position, I was going through things like AngelList. I was going through all the job boards. I was going to all of the corporate uh, career websites, you know, putting in the resumes, talking to all my contacts. My business in transaction services basically died, right? The, it, it consolidated, became very mechanized. You hear about algorithms all the time. So here all of a sudden, I'm 60 years old. Uh, I'm at the latter part of my career and I'm obsolete. I, I got to find a new way of using what I've learned um, into something that's used for today. When I started to look, I, I was looking at all these websites and going through that same problem that I found the research analysts had. So in my spare time, on my phone, there's something called Siri Shortcuts. And in Siri Shortcuts, I started to code up my thought process of how I was going through it. Well, what am I looking for? How am I putting this information together? Um, you know, why do I need the document versus a picture? Or does it even matter? Um, and what I found was all I really wanted to do was get the information first. So I created a search that wasn't really anything new or revolutionary. It was just a different way of slicing and dicing. Um, but what I did with the app was I broke it down into saying, well, Reddit has one way of looking at information. Twitter has another way of looking at you know, crowdsourcing versus, uh, you know, global conversation versus just news versus just search. Uh, you know, Google search or Wikipedia. I just added Wikipedia last week. By taking a subject, breaking it down to three words, right? Um, whatever that might be, breaking it down into three words and then looking at the segregated bits of information, the siloed information that came from these different sources, it helped me to structure better what I was looking for. When I looked at Twitter, I realized what I was looking at was some random conversations, some odd opinions that people might have, maybe some interesting reference. When I looked at Reddit, it was more of a thoughtful conversation. When I looked at news, I was looking for press releases. So at this point, it still sounds like it's just a meta search engine, kind of like Fagan Finder is. But what Chandler does with the search results, I think, is what truly makes Logger Research, his, his platform, very special. And there'll be a link below in the show notes for those of you who are interested in checking it out. To any of these links, by the way. By taking all that information and kind of segregating it, I, I realized that if I can take notes now on each one of those articles I looked at, and it pulled down each search that I did with this thing, probably pulled down about 40 or 50 references. Um, I think the limitation was on the API. Right. So it's not like when you go to Google itself and you get, you know, 14 million reference, you know, 14 million results. Right. Um, top five of which are promoted anyway. 
So what I found was here I had a limited set of information coming back from segregated sources that I understood what that source was trying to tell me. And what I did then with series shortcuts was I said, well, I, I need a way now to organize this. So initially I did it with Trello. So what I did was I took all of those articles that came down from those sources and dumped them into a Trello board. Uh, each, uh, each list uh, was one of the sources and each one of those cards was one of the articles that came out. So this way now I had, so now I can go to my computer, right? My laptop, sit back, launch Trello and have a better way of managing all of those articles. When I decided to look for different ways to engage with search and, and look at what innovations in the platforms we were, we have today, both Fig and Finder and Logger Research definitely lived up to the hype. They're both very useful uh, tools if you want to do more in-depth research on the internet. Um, but most of us just want to type into Google our searches. And Ben from makeuseof.com has some insight for us. So let's check in with him. Yeah, so uh, my name's Ben, and I actually went to college for computer information. So I kind of always, when I was growing up in high school, uh, I enjoyed kind of helping people with computers. I would teach them, um, you know, how to avoid getting malware on your computer and uh, what to do to make it run faster and things like that. Um, so when I went to college, I knew I wanted to do something with computers, but wasn't sure what. Um, and then about halfway through college, I had the opportunity to start writing for a tech website uh, called Make Use Of. I was following them because I'd heard about them through one of my professors in the class I took. And they put an infographic on Facebook saying, here's 10 signs you might be a great writer for us. And most of them applied to me. So even though I'd never really written a whole lot before, I applied and they liked my article. Um, so I've been writing for Make Use Of since 2014. Uh, I worked in IT for like six or seven months when I graduated college. And then I was able to go full-time as a writer. So I've been a writer and editor for Make Use Of since the end of 2016. That's my, that's my story. By this time in the episode, we know that Google is the powerhouse in search and they doesn't look like they're going to give up their throne anytime soon. So I guess I'm curious about what are they doing to innovate? What have they been doing to innovate? What's going on behind this black box of search? So a couple things that I've noticed Google do um, kind of recently, and just to preface, make use of, uh, gets a lot of traffic from Google from keywords, you know, people searching for all kinds of stuff, you know, why is my audio and Windows not working, or what are the best meditation apps for iPhone, that type of thing. Um, so, so we use a lot of this. And um, some of the stuff that Google has done in general recently, I would say over the past couple of years, Google's gotten a lot better at understanding keyword intent. Um, so that means, you know, when you search for something, especially if it could be taken multiple ways, Google's better at kind of parsing the meaning that you use. Um, so if you search for, you know, in the old days, you know, people, they would tell you, you know, don't Google something like you'd talk about it. So instead of typing in, you know, how do you fix a program when it won't install in Windows 10 or something like that, they would say, you know, use keywords that Google will pick up on. Uh, Google's gotten a lot smarter in that regard to where when you type in uh, how do you X or that type of thing, almost like you're speaking instead of typing to a computer, um, Google's gotten a lot better at interpreting that intent. So you don't have to use literal letter for letter keywords. You can kind of just, it'll get the meaning as long as it's not too obscure. Is there a future where Google isn't the main search engine? I would say, I mean, just the the, the rise of 
Google in so many ways, I think that it's going to be really hard to bring them down, quote unquote. Um, I just think when when something becomes, this is kind of like cultural, I guess, but when something becomes just synonymous, you know, the fact that Google is now a verb that means, you know, just Google, whatever, um, that's really powerful. And that, and like we were talking about earlier, where if someone opens up their browser and it's Yahoo search or whatever, most people, unless they don't know better, they're going to think, oh, I don't want Yahoo, I want Google, because in their mind, Google is just the search engine. Um, I think that's really powerful and that's really hard to undo. Um, and one of the other reasons too, like we touched on with the economies of scale kind of thing, you know, YouTube being the second, I think, I believe it's the second biggest website in the world after Google. Um, that type of endeavor is really, really, really hard for a, a company to try to mimic. Um, so there's, you know, there's Vimeo and DTube and other sites, but just the, the, capital, I guess, that Google already has invested in YouTube. I mean, think about all the video that's uploaded to YouTube every minute and all the server space that takes and sorting and algorithms and everything. Like for someone to try to compete with that head on is really hard. And I've, I've watched videos from YouTubers that I like that talk about, you know, I don't like this policy of YouTube or I'm getting screwed by the algorithm or whatever. And they want to go somewhere else on principle. But, you know, most if, if you want to watch videos, you go to YouTube. So if you're a video producer and you're not putting content on YouTube, you're making it a lot harder for yourself for people to find you. People to find you. You know, that's obvious when you're somewhere you're searching for something someone else is putting something out there for you to find. Um, but it's not something I've actually thought about in the future of search, which is the future for search for the creators, the writers, the people who are trying to optimize their websites, their, uh, their content, their metadata uh, for ways that make it easier for the web crawlers and the search engines to actually find them and feed them to you when you decide to ask uh, Google or ask Alexa or however you decide to engage with search. Let's meet Tina and Cannon, both writers with SEO knowledge from makeuseof.com as well. We're both, we both started writing for the website. Uh, I, I started writing for the website in late 2007. So it's been a long time. I'm uh, I kind of gradually like um, went from being a writer to being an editor. And then being an editor, we were rewarded for um, articles performing. And so you naturally look into, okay, where does this traffic come from and how can you get more of it? Um, and that's how I ended up looking into keywords and SEO and learning more and more about it. Um, it's basically self-taught and yeah, making all the mistakes you can make um, in search uh, and being like as a site as well. We made some mistakes before my time, during my time um, that um, with algorithm updates on Google's end, we were punished for. And yeah, so you, you learn as you go. Things change pretty rapidly too in search. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I got into search the exact uh, same way that Tina did. Um, and I, I don't identify as an SEO specialist, even though um, the majority of what I do now is SEO related. Um, I like search search uh, for for us for as writers, search is a black box um, in that there's a lot of unknowns. In fact, the unknowns virtually define what search is because no one no one except uh, employees at Google really understand. Um, how their algorithm works, and they they give us hints and they they give us indicators, um, but 
it's it's really a uh, it's a completely proprietary system, and um, our role is to is mostly based around answering questions that we find on Google. So so uh, to clarify, uh, I got into it because I was trying to do the best possible job at answering uh, our readers' questions. Uh, oh, by the way, I, so a little bit on myself. Uh, I first got started um, about 10 years ago. Uh, I believe in the fall, it'll have been 10 years. And uh, I was I was basically answering people's technical questions. So um, we would we would have uh, readers submit questions to the site uh, and they were uh, they were tech questions. And uh, I, I so I, I first got started in tech uh, as a technician, uh, as a freelance technician. And uh, just kind of gradually, uh, my background is in journalism, um, and I, I gradually applied journalism um, to answering technical questions. As a writer and content creator, how have the changes over time with Google affected kind of your workflow? Uh, so the uh, the algorithm changes were not, uh, in my opinion, um, we're not all that big an issue until until fairly recently, over the last few years. And as Google has moved from, uh, so their their uh, their original model was uh, basically basically primarily uh, keyword related. It's still keyword um, uh, keyword related, but right now they've switched over to something called BERT, which is. Uh, they're, they're applying deep learning, um, artificial intelligence techniques to semantic, um, semantically uh, analyzing the content of not just words, but uh, phrases. So the queries have gotten long, like they've, they've gone from single uh, or, or um, they were more focused on single words to now they're more focused on sentences. To build on that, it's... Um... They're focusing on natural language processing. So now they can tell the difference of like minor words like off or in, where previously they like couldn't tell what in the, in, within the context what these these little words meant. But the algorithm now allows them to interpret um, more complex sentences and, and, and uh, interpret the nuances um, in the search. So they're becoming better and better at that. So we have to rely less and less on keywords. Um, yeah, so they're trying to adapt to the user of the search engine rather than um, training the user to use it in a right way. Because that's what you said earlier, like, are we using search right? And my answer would be, don't worry about it, because Google is trying to figure out how are people using search, and then they're going to adapt to that. That's their whole uh, goal. Okay, I worry too much. That's clear. Um, but it's good to know that Google's making all these, you know, innovations to better my search results without me having to think about how to search for something properly. But is Google it? Is Google the future for all of search? Uh, are we stuck with Google forever? Or is Google the best way to get um, news and, and search results? Or is there other ways that, that you guys engage with uh, search? Um, I, uh, I also use RSS. I don't, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, it's it, it's like become a deprecated technology over the last ten years, but uh, RSS uh, for those who don't know is um, there. It's a, it's a basically feeds like you can subscribe to individual websites, and it's aggregated within what's called an RSS uh, aggregator or reader. And uh, I I oftentimes use that 
because uh, if if you uh, if you listen to uh, 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 non-mainstream media sources like like a lot of the tech blogs, I would consider to be non-mainstream or um, uh, news sites that that are not like some of the smaller uh, news companies that are getting censored right now on social media. Um, RSS allows you to search uh, all of their content with uh, with without uh, actually having to look at their ads or having to individually go to the website. Um, and then there's also uh, keyword filtering tools in, inside of RSS that, that make it a much more robust form of search than what you get on Google or uh, Facebook. What's the future like for search? Um, is there any trends that you're seeing or things that you would like to see for the future uh, of search so we don't have to worry about mm. how to search correctly? Yeah, there's also a risk with that because when you are relying too much on one entity and this being mainly Google now, um, you rely on them being neutral and serving you the real news and not hiding things. And that's, that's you know, you have to have the trust that this is actually happening. Um, I know that Canon often searches for things. He, he, he swears were easy to find a few months ago and then he can no longer find them. And he, you know, he maybe he can speak to that himself. Um, but we we don't know it's a black box we don't really know what's happening in there so it's it's good to have alternatives to know how to search and that is, that's a question that canon should answer um so I, I i don't want to sound like uh like a paranoid conspiracy theorist but um there google is fantastic um if if you know how to use it correctly and that's like if you use Boolean operators um, and if you use filtering tools, but uh, for like for finding it's, it's great. So it's great for keeping up. Like if you, if you don't know anything about um, the filtering tools, it's great for keeping up with the news, but like, let's say you want to find something that happened uh, like a year ago or two years ago. Um, it's, it's far more difficult to find something once it's um, rotated out of the news cycle. Um, and, and that's why, well, so, so one, I totally agree with Tina. Um, it's, it's extremely dangerous to lie on one single, um, gatekeeper for, uh, for anything. Um, but if you, if you, uh, if you know, so if you know how to use those tools correctly, it, it mitigates the risk of having that single gatekeeper. I guess for people who, um, don't really or can't be bothered with customizing their search environment like Canon Vice using RSS um, or using Boolean search, like learning all those intricate like, methods of getting the results that you really want. People who just want to use search every day for harmless questions, um, try to ask Google in the way you would ask a friend. So don't try to think of what terminology you should be using, what keywords you should be using, because Google is trying to figure out how people interact naturally with a search engine. So I my advice is not to worry about how you communicate with Google, but ask it like you would ask um, a normal person because that's what Google trying Google is trying to em emulate. Just don't overthink it. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, those are great search tips, by the way. Um, th so so I, I would strongly recommend avoiding using Google to get all of your news. Um, avoid algorithmic processes. Uh, in, instead, I, I highly recommend using local searches on websites that you trust. Uh, and 
and I, I would advise staying away from larger news sources. Um, if, uh, there, like there's there's a lot of websites out there that uh, that because of Google's algorithm changes have gotten um, onto page two, page three or page four um, that that will cover news sources from um, a perspective you may not have heard. Um, and and I, there's there's a lot of examples out there. I, I, I will get in trouble for mentioning any of them, um, like Democracy Now. <laughs> but uh, the, there's there's a the the success of uh, of whether or not you get good content depends on a diverse range of news sources. And once you find a news source that's that you can trust, uh, stick with it. Use their website. So Canon brings up an interesting point about searching for news and using things other than Google and Google News to find out what you're looking for. And I can recall a story riding my I'm from originally from Miami, Florida, and I was riding my bicycle uh, in the Key Biscayne and it was very early in the morning and I looked up and there looked to be a UFO in the sky and I wasn't crazy because everybody else stopped and was taking photos and it really blew my mind. I had no idea what it was. Uh, and it was bothering me all morning and, and I went to Twitter uh, at first I went to Google actually and I couldn't find any any anything to explain what I saw uh, and then I tried Twitter and I it was explained to me it was a rocket launch from the Kennedy Space uh, Center um, but it would what that taught me was that sometimes Google's not the best way to search for things and especially when it's something hyper local uh, that Twitter seemed to be uh, a better way to, to find out what I was looking for. So let's meet James, the founder of Launchpod Studios in London. He has a story of what led him to search for news the, much the way he does now. Launchpod is uh, an incubator facility for people to be able to develop their own shows, uh, but also for us to be able to create content and shows ourselves. Uh, it really is all about discovery, about discovering new guests and about discovering new avenues for people to distribute material. It, the internet is effectively the Amazon warehouse of data. You have the entire planet throwing information into a, a black hole of storage that is, you know, poorly organized at best. Yes, you've got IP systems and domains, but, you know, in general, general users throwing content onto Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, there's a lot of work to do to get it from that point. You, sorry, the analogy about the Amazon warehouse, you know how they inventory items, they just chuck it anywhere and it's given a location. And when it's called off, you go and get that location. Effectively, that's, that's data on the internet. So I'm sure you're familiar with the term fake news. Um, so I'm trying to avoid fake news, as I'm sure everyone in the audience is trying to do the same. How can we search for news better? I've got a slightly embarrassing personal tale about why I now search for news, how I search for news. Um, back in 2012, there was a campaign run uh, to oust a horrific African dictator called Joseph Kony, K-O-N-Y. And there was this big, it was almost presidential campaign of Kony 2012, created by these guys that 
just caught the hearts and minds of the internet and spread like wildflower. And I, I am, I am anything but an activist. I, I, I really am not. I am a, a very keen observer. Um, and for the first time, I remember posting this link to this video about this guy and these atrocities and how it was terrible and he had to be removed. And, and I wasn't alone. There was a there was an enormous enormous swathe of both my friends, my colleagues, my peers, and and many many others who who were outraged at at this Joseph Kony character. Um, and I remember finding out not long after. Um, that actually the whole thing was a hoax uh, and it was a stunt by a, by a marketing guy, I think, to prove that it was even possible that you could do this and that, that you know, I guess if you were analysing it in 2020, you'd be talking about outrage culture and all of this. My, the scary thing for me was that I'd taken what I believed to be news and I had digested it, been so sold by it without any form of, of real clarification. Um, and, and then punted it out to everyone that knew me. Um, and when Coney 2012 turned out to be fake, it made me completely reevaluate the best process of finding specific, reliable and accurate news reporting. Um, the 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 internet is full of sensationalism now certainly was then uh you know the the news outlets are really rarely occupied by what we would have once considered to be proper journalists who are out to find things and even when they do find things editors are creating headlines that are sensationalist uh, and finding points of view that create that clickbait and so on and so on and i therefore find you get this like advertised form of news um, that often can be inaccurate so my absolute default now for finding any news and i really don't believe there's any other way is twitter uh, I just can't see there being a better outlet of getting immediate reaction. If I heard an explosion in my local neighborhood, that's where I'd go straight away. And I guarantee you there would be at least a photo, if not a video, from human beings that have no interest uh, other than relaying the fact that something has happened um, almost immediately. So... I hope we've learned a little bit about the future of search. I know I have. Logger Research, uh, Fagan Finder are both tools, which I will provide the links, which are super helpful with any of you who are doing more in-depth research and or just want to have a different search experience on the internet. Um, Google seems like it's here to stay, obviously. I mean, I'm a big Google user. Um, but I wanted to leave off with a quote from former CEO Eric Schmidt uh, from Google, which he says, we know where you are, we know where you've been, we can more or less know what you're thinking about. And that's it for episode two of Free Coffee, A Journey Through the Internet. I will see you, I think it's like every other week at this point still. Uh, so in two weeks time, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh, until then, reach out, contact me, tell me what you like, what you dislike. Uh, I appreciate the listen and yeah, thank you.